unique encounter in the Scriptures. So if you'll please turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. And when you find it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit through John says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you then say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Father, this Christmas we remember that Jesus was not created. He was sent and He was born and He was God-man. And nothing less could secure our salvation. Father, by Your Holy Spirit, through Your Word this morning, reveal to us how profound and how beautiful it is to consider that when we look upon Jesus, we look upon You. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I'm going to boil down my message, if I could, to this. By His Spirit, King Jesus can do far more in you than He can beside you. I'm going to say that one more time. By His Spirit... King Jesus can do far more in you than He can walking beside you. The most basic... found. Oh, there it is. Okay, good. Is it, oh, wow, I didn't even know you were there. Is it warm? Is it toasty? Okay. We're just heating up. Is it... I'm glad Daniel got us that, or ordered that. Is there... Oh, there it is. All right. The most basic, foundational, ultimate, most important doctrine in Christianity is the doctrine of the Trinity. God is both three and one. God is both three and one. If you don't have the doctrine of the Trinity, you don't have planet Earth... You don't have the Word. You don't have the Gospel. You don't have a God who is love. And you don't have a God who saves. James Pettigrew Boyce, the very first president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he said this about why the Trinity is so essential to the Gospel. Were God only one person, He could not manifest rule and yet empty Himself of it. Could not send and yet be sent. 
could not be lawgiver and also voluntary subject, could not make atonement and yet receive it, could not pour out wrath and yet endure it. Our creation and our salvation is predicated on the idea, on the truth, that God is both three and one. The irony is that the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. It's simply the best word we have to describe such a mysterious, profound truth. The very truth we see here in John 14. God the Father and God the Son are two different persons. And yet what Jesus is telling Philip is they are also one. We're going to see next week when Jesus actually says the Father is greater than I. But yet in this text this week we see that He's saying to Philip... I and the Father, when you look on me, you look on the Father. So they're distinct, but they're united. The Latin father Tertullian in the 3rd century was the very first person, at least according to scholars, to use the word Trinitas, which is Latin for Trinity. And the best he could come up with was this. God is, quote-unquote, three persons, one substance. That's the best that Tertullian could come up with. And so just a century later, at the Council of Nicaea, the very first ecumenical council in the church, the very first time the church got together, the entire Roman world, all the bishops got together and said, we got to hash this out. What does the Trinity mean? They came up with the first official theological word in the church. It's, a, it's one that Robbie and many of you won't remember. But it's homoousios. They were Greek in Latin. And it means one essence or the same essence. So the very best that they could come up with to describe the identity of God is that God is three persons and one essence. Though the very first time all the churches got together to decide on something, they agreed, we all have to agree on this. So if you do not affirm today in your church that God is both three and one, both three persons and one essence, you are not a Christian. This is how we are to understand verses 10 through 11. This is what Jesus says. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So God the Father and God the Son are distinct, and they're also one. They're separate, but they're also unified. They indwell one another. What Jesus is telling Philip is, God the Father and I are not the same person, but when you look at me and you listen to me, you're looking and listening to the Father. If that doesn't blow your mind. So that means that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not like water, steam, and ice. They're not like that. Please don't ever use that as an analogy to describe the triune God. That's a heresy called modalism. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three forms or modes of the same God. They're distinct persons, 
but also one. I mean, I don't see how that could be. Well, then you found the Trinity. The very first heretic in the history of the church, the very first person to be officially denounced by the church is the first person to deny this truth. And his name was Arius. He was condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325. And what Arius believed was that God the Son was created by God the Father. That there was actually a time when the Father, by Himself, just for kicks, created God the Son. So there was a time at which God the Father was by Himself. That's heresy. And it's called Arianism. There is actually a sect of people who still believe this today, and they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not Christians. They're a cult. You heard me say that. And they're still peddling a nearly 1,700-year-old heresy that has been condemned. It's Christmas time, so we got to remember this. Jesus was not created. Jesus was born. He was sent. But He wasn't created. God the Son has existed eternally with God the Father forever. There was not a time when God the Son didn't exist. The triune God was chilling with Himself, if you could say that, forever, eternally. And He became the Son. John chapter 1 says He tabernacled amongst us. And that's Christmas. One of my favorite stories in the history of the church, I want it to be true. They don't really know if it is. I'm just going to tell it like it is. The story of St. Nick. St. Nicholas. Did you know that the historical figure of St. Nick did not actually come from Santa Claus? He came from Bishop Nicholas, who, wouldn't you know it, attended the Council of Nicaea at 325. And as the story goes, as the heretic Arius was talking, St. Nick became so infuriated over his heresy that he punched Arius in the face. That's Santa Claus. There was a meme on the, on the internet that says, He knows if you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you affirm the consubstantiality of the sun. I don't know if that's... Um, the reason why this is all important is that what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 14, the Trinity, is absolutely precious to us. It's been defended for centuries it has been articulated so carefully because we cannot make sense of what Jesus is telling Philip unless we understand that God is both three persons and one essence. It's the best human language can come to approach something so holy, mysterious, and profound. So we're good with it. We can figure out the rest when we die. Jesus has just finished telling them, no one comes to the Father except through me. You heard Lee preach that. One of the most famous, if you will, verses in the entire Bible. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip goes, yeah, but can we see the Father real quick? And Jesus is like, are you kidding me, Philip? You can even hear the exhaustion in Jesus' words. Verses 9-10. through 10, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long 
And still you do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Man, that's, that's profound. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I mean, if I'm Philip, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just wanted to know, want to see God. So this is a big deal that Philip doesn't get this. It's such a big deal that Jesus is acting like Philip doesn't even know him. Jesus is acting like Philip doesn't get his purpose, doesn't get his mission, doesn't get his reason for coming unless he gets this. And what he says is, and quote unquote, and you still do not know me, Philip. If Christ's disciples are going to know who Jesus is, if we today at Haynes Creek are going to know who the living God is, we must understand that Jesus and the Father are one. That important. Just think about how profound that statement is. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's like he's saying, Philip, if you've touched me, you've touched God the Father. If you've looked at me, you've seen God the Father. If you've listened to my voice, you have heard God talking. If I'm Philip, I'm like, whoa! As I read this, as I read Philip's question and Jesus' reaction this week, I was struck by two things. One, let's, let's give Philip a break. One, Philip's request isn't a selfish request. I mean, it's an ignorant question. But it's a good question. In fact, I think Philip is asking the very same thing that Moses asked in Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory, God. Philip's asking the very same thing. Philip's like, Moses, I've been following you for so long, I want to see you now. He's thirsty for righteousness. He wants more of God. And I think we should commend Philip for that. The second thing is Jesus' reaction. Jesus is deflated and he's like, are you for real, Philip? And while we could give Philip a hard time here for not understanding this basic truth of Christianity, we could really lambast Philip for being such an ignorant disciple. How many of us have been following Jesus for so long, and yet we often find ourselves succumbing to the very same sins when we were little? And think about this, how kind and how gracious our Savior is to still put up with you, His wayward children, when we continually disobey. Please remember that Jesus is as patient with us as He is with Philip. I want to confess something this morning. I've been troubled recently by something I see in my own life. And I wanted to confess it. I was driving to the Young Americans Christian School this week. And it struck me, because I'd never been in that part. And I was kind of looking around. And I realized that I think I have picked up more pet peeves now. I have more pet peeves now at 32 than I did when I was 29. And I just don't think that's consistent with a life of humility and righteousness. Raise your hand if you have a pet peeve. 
somebody could go, well, I mean, I see you there, but pet peeve, I mean, I'm, you know, come on. Well, one pet peeve is fine. But I would imagine that someone who has been walking with Jesus for so long, who has actually found more things that bother and irritate and set me off, I would imagine that Jesus is asking me the very same thing He asked Philip, which is, Abby, have I been with you for so long that you don't understand my kindness and my love and my holiness? I'm going to hear me say it this morning. I don't think Christians who claim to be saved and claim to be walking in grace by the God who is love can continue to build up pet peeves. I just don't think you could. I don't think you should. And I'll give you a hint. This is why I was driving to Yaks. My wife, I'm going to throw her under the bus. My wife leaves empty bottles in my car. She's going to get me on the, my car when we go home. That's her pet peeve. Um, she leaves empty bottles everywhere. And I just, I just hate, as I'm riding around, the bottles just turn around. You know, every coffee cup and thing. I mean, just... I was trying to get the bottle about there right in front of the courthouse. They could have arrested me. And I was, I was trying to get it, and all of a sudden, and I'm like, my... I'm going to come home dead, and she going, she's not going to like them bottles now. So I've been fuming on the bottle thing, and I get home. And by the time I get home, what I want to say to my wife is, can you just throw it away? But if I'm walking in the light of God's grace, I've been walking with Jesus for so long, like Philip has, what I need to go and do is just throw it away and then go love my wife. And maybe later tell her to maybe throw it away. <laughs> the more we walk with God, the more we should grow in understanding and patience and love and kindness and holiness. Have you been walking with me for so long, Abby, that you've actually found more ways to get irritated and mad at people? Have you been walking with me so long, Philip, that you've found more ways to unbelief? Have you been walking with me so long, Haynes Creek, claiming my grace, claiming my lordship, my kindness, and all my gifts to you this Christmas, and then you go out and find new ways to be unforgiving to people. I was convicted by that. As I was reading this passage this week, I also kept asking myself, how could he spend so much time with Jesus and yet not understand he came from the Father? How could he not understand that? And I think that Philip was treating Jesus like Jesus was the test run for God the Father. After years of walking with Jesus, Philip wanted the real thing. And what Jesus says is, I am the real thing. You know, when I used to play sports, you'd meet. Well, now you meet. You play all year. But you'd meet up about a month or two before the season started, and you'd do what? You'd practice. Then after about two or three weeks, you're ready to do what? You're ready to play the game. Allen Iverson. A lot of y'all don't know what that means. 
That's how Philip is treating Jesus, like he's practicing for God. I also think that's how a lot of people today treat Jesus, like Jesus is our life coach and then getting us to heaven when we eventually do the God thing. But in this passage, when Philip wants to see God, what Jesus says is, if you've seen me, you've seen God. In other words, Jesus isn't just our guide. Jesus isn't just our roadmap. He isn't just our coach. He isn't just our buddy. Jesus is King. And when we worship Jesus, we worship the Father. The Christian life is not our spiritual practice so that we can eventually be with God. The Christian life is God with us and God in us ultimately to be consummated at the end of days. The way we treat Jesus today is the way we treat God the Father today. If you've never thought about worshiping Jesus, you've never worshiped God the Father. If you've never thought about bowing before King Jesus, you've never bowed before God the Father. Jesus gets done saying, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And Philip's like, yeah, but can we go ahead and skip to God the Father now? Then when Jesus is like, well, if you want to skip me and get to the Father, then you skipped the Father. I want to brag on my brother, Daryl. He's not here. You see Daryl. See him messed up. We kind of brought this up at small group. He comes to our small group. When Daryl first came to the faith, he'd talk a lot about God. He just wouldn't hear Jesus a lot. And you don't want to stamp that out because he's a new believer. But one thing I told him the other day after uh, one of our meetings is, I hear him saying Jesus more. And I think that's because as Daryl has grown in his faith, he understands that his relationship with Jesus is his relationship with God. Verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Greater works than these. What greater works could we possibly do more than healing the blind and the deaf and the sick? How could we as the church do greater works than the works Jesus is doing in the Gospel of John? I think the answer to that question begins with the last phrase in verse 12. Because I'm going to the Father. Jesus can do far more for His church sitting on His throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning by His Spirit, than He can walking on the earth. By His Spirit, King Jesus can do far more in you than He can beside you, which tells me we have seriously underestimated the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that God the Holy Spirit will surpass the works of God the Son on earth. That He will do do so in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Father. So there's a pattern here, and don't miss it. That's actually why we had Logan read from Galatians chapter 4. God the Father sends God the Son so that we can know Him, and God the Son sends who? God the Holy Spirit so that we can know Him. It is simply impossible to have direct revelation from God without God the Son, and you cannot come to God the Son without being born of God the Holy Spirit. But back to that phrase. 
greater works. What does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I've never healed a blind person. I've never healed a deaf person. I've never come up with 5,000 fish and bread loaves and feed people. But when Jesus talks about the greater works, he's not defining greatness in material, physical, or medical ways. For Jesus, the greatest works that can be done in his name are the kind that are done through his spirit. That means we can't measure the kingdom of God and we can't measure the success of the kingdom of God unless we understand that greatest works of God are done when He does things through His Spirit. Other than my wife, there, are, there is no other one person, other than my wife and my kids, there's no other person on this earth I have prayed more for than my brother. I have prayed so many nights for Grant. He's 17 months younger than I. We grew up doing everything boys do in Kentucky. I think I've told y'all before, he was valedictorian. He was captain of the football team. He went to Yale. He was a Marine in Afghanistan. I prayed so many nights to bring him home. I prayed so many nights that God would bless him, that he would get a good job, that he would have a family. But Christ says that when Jesus finally saved Grant from his sin, which was just a few years ago, and that by the Holy Spirit, Grant came to know God the Son and in turn was found in God the Father, that that was the greatest work God could do. Not salaries, not medals, not surviving wars, not buying houses. Knowledge of the living God and Jesus Christ was the greatest work God could do in my brother's life. That's because God's greatest work is bringing people back from the dead. Resurrection is the greater work. Today, it is my honor and my pleasure and my joy to tell you that Grant Todd has been resurrected from the dead and he has known God the Father because he knows God the Son by God the Holy Spirit. This is why I don't have any patience with people to get baptized and the people, when they're getting baptized, talk more about walking down the aisle and saying the prayer and making the decision. They did that. They did this. We make more about our work than God's work. Baptism isn't about what you did. You died and got raised. That's what you did. Parents, when you pray for your children, pay, pray for their health, pray for their future, pray for their well-being, pray for their education, but pray for the greater work. Pray that God saves them. That is a prayer God would love to answer. But before you can pray for God to save your child, you've got to come face to face with the fact that your child is in sin. And I think most people struggle with that, even though it's before their eyes. Verses 13 through 14. This is how I know that God would love to answer that prayer. Verses 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, for your glory, save my child, save my aunt, save my uncle, save my dad, save my mom, save my friends, for your glory by your Spirit. That is a prayer God would relish to answer. God loves performing the greater work. 
Are the greater works in your life being done by the Spirit of God or are they being done by your power? Are the greater works in your life being done through prayer or by your actions? Are the greater works in your life being done in Jesus' name or your own? I want to conclude this morning with a recent study that was released this week by the CDC, which I think is in Atlanta. I think I was talking to Chris. According to the CDC, there are There were more than 2.8 million deaths last year. That's 70,000 more deaths than the previous year. According to the CDC, 2017 saw the most deaths in a single year since the government began counting over a century ago. The numbers reflect, amongst other things, the nation's growing and aging population. But most staggering were the numbers in young people. The suicide death rate last year was the highest it's been in the last 50 years. There were more than 47,000 suicides, up 2,000 from the year before. And perhaps the most disturbing statistic is the dramatic increase in opioid deaths, which is what they largely attribute to the dramatic increase. (coughs) What do you think about that? (laughs) That that is staggering. I heard this week, Kelly and I heard on the radio, there's 7,000 poor, there's 7,000 homeless people in Atlanta. These numbers bear witness to a world that does not know God the Father through God the Son by God the Spirit. We work harder today, longer today, faster today, but we are starving for the greater work. King Jesus longs to perform the greater work through His Spirit by the Gospel, and He asks, ask me anything. And what James says is, you don't ask. Are we asking God to do the greater work for the very things we want Him to do, for the world we want Him to change, for the news we watch every day? It's going to hell in a handbasket. My unbelieving friends, my unbelieving family, are we praying to the God of heaven to change them and to perform His greatest work when He clearly says, ask me anything? Are we asking? This morning, you can ask. In fact, when we pray and we leave church, you can ask then. And then this morning, this afternoon, when you go eat lunch or when you eat dinner, when you put your kids to bed, you can ask Him then too. Because God is waiting. And the greatest works God can perform are those that He prepares in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Let's ask Him this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, we come to you as reconciled sinners.
We're worthy of your kingdom, but we're only worthy of your kingdom because we are unworthy of it. And we acknowledge our great debt that Jesus paid. Father, in the words of Paul, how can those who have died to sin continue to walk in it? How can we who claim to talk to God not ask Him to do the things He longs to do? Father, let Your will be done in our lives and let Your kingdom come. And Father, let our requests and our petitions and our supplications be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that the greatest works that can be done on this earth are not buildings that are built. They're not stadiums that are filled. They're not armies that are gathered. They are souls that are saved. Resurrection. That's the work you long to do. Father, we ask you to do that now for anyone here who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for anyone here in the Oxford-Covington area, Father, we pray for revival. Please perform the greater work. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.